Hello everyone. Today we come to the last talk in our series on James. I hope you've found these messages helpful and empowering. What we learn each week needs living out if it is to be effective. We close with the subject of prayer. Most of us know that our prayer lives need constant attention. Our lives are busy and our heads are full. Again, James comes to our aid with some practical teaching on the effects and importance of prayer. He shows us that we need to pray in all seasons and in all kinds of ways. We need a personal prayer life and we need to stand with one another in prayer as a local church. We began our series with trials and tests which can lead us to patience and perseverance. And there's clearly a link here. Patience and perseverance are essential for an ongoing kind of praying that never gives up. Love you all. Have a great day. Amen. Thank you, Stuart, as always. So, uh, Stuart, um, actually, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, more importantly, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you have said where two or three are gathered, that there you are in our midst. And we just thank you, Lord, for that opportunity, that privilege to be able to come before you when and wherever we might be because the veil has been rent in two. So we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I think it's important this morning to just dwell on that veil being rent in two. That when Jesus went to the cross and he said it is finished, that's why we can go before him. That's why we can say, Abba, Father. That's why we can actually say we want to pray or we want to engage with God. So over the past um, five weeks, we've been on a series on faith. So we've talked about counting it all joy, which is saying in all situations, wherever you find yourself, be joyful and trust in God. So we've talked about doing it because the Bible says that faith without works is dead, that we have to accompany our faith with works. So we've talked about that. We've talked about live it, which is being doers of the word, because the Bible encourages us not to be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And then we talked about taming it, which I think was Nigel talking about dealing with the tongue. I've put slash clause because sometimes <laughs> our tongues can feel like clothes. Taming our tongue, because the tongue is very powerful. There was someone who said, once said to me that words are like eggs. When you break an egg, you cannot put it back in its shell. You, it, you can't do it. It's impossible. And that's why we need to tame our tongues. The things that we say, even when you're in private, tame your tongue, because words do carry. And um, then we heard last week about resisting the devil. But there was something that came before resisting the devil. 
It was actually submitting to God. So that was what we were talking about last week, that we need to submit to God first. So this week, we're looking at Prayed. That's the title, as Stuart was saying. So we're going to be talking about how we give life to our faith through prayer. Now, we can do all of the things that I've talked about, that we've talked about in the last few weeks. But if we don't take the time to pray and seek God's face, it's almost like somebody who decides to build a house. Because the Bible says it, doesn't it? That when you're building a house, make sure you build a house on solid foundation. None of us here would build a house on sand because you know what will happen. It will sink. But as Christians, we live lives, we make decisions, we do so many things that we don't actually stop to think, Father, what do you think? I should be doing. How many of us take the time to do that? I seek in my everyday life to do that because I look back at times when I have not done that and I've made some big boo-boos and I've learned my lesson to know enough that whatever it is I'm doing, no matter how small or how big, I should always take it to the Lord in prayer. And sometimes the answer I get might not be what I want to hear. But he sees further than I can see. He hears more than I can ever hear. And he knows more than I can ever imagine. So prayer is a mode of communication with God. We all know that. Now imagine a relationship. Because we all say um, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. So imagine this amazing relationship when you never speak to this person. Or imagine a marriage where you're married to somebody and all you ever do is, good morning, honey, you're off. Night, honey, that's it. Now, how long do you think that relationship is going to last for? Or what do you think is going to be the quality of that relationship? See, prayer is the inner sanctuary where we cultivate intimacy with God. Now, some religious heads will tell you, oh, you don't want to be, I mean, what's intimacy with God? Is God is up there and we're down here. That was the whole point. That was why he sent Jesus to the cross, so that he wouldn't be up there and we wouldn't be down here. He craves intimacy with us. He craves the time with us. Prayer is the place where you can be vulnerable before God without fear of judgment. Because the Bible says to us that God's word is like a mirror. When he's talking to you, it's like a mirror that shows you who you are. The spirit of God searches the heart of man. It shows us who we are. There is nothing you can hide from God that he doesn't know. So why then do we go before him and not actually open up those things and talk to him about it? Why do we go before him like we do before man and look all together and not be able to say to him, Lord, I am just a mess right now. Or Lord, I need you. 
That is what I use my prayer time for. When I go before him, I tell him. I tell him where I'm at. I tell him what is going on with me. You might say, but God knows. Yeah, he knows, but my head needs to know that I need to tell him. And when I need help and I don't understand what is going on around me, I say to him, Father, I don't know what is going on, but help me to stay on that straight and narrow path. Because I know if I don't do that, I will take the wrong turn. Prayer is a place of learning patience. Um, Sienna, do you just want to come and read that verse for us? This one. Okay. Hello, it's your favorite person. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, this just one. read that one, yeah. Okay, Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Yes. So, as I was saying, prayer is a place of learning to be patient. But you see, a lot of the times we, when we pray, because I've heard people to tell me, I've been praying for, to God for so long for this illness or for whatever it is you're praying about, and God doesn't seem to be answering. Whose time are you gauging God's response by? The book of Ecclesiastes says to us that there is a season and a time for everything under the sun. That means there is nothing that you want to go to God about, that God does not already have a season and a time for that thing to come to pass. But you see, we judge it by our time. Because you think in your head, you've prayed this prayer to God and it's been a year and he hasn't answered your prayer. That means he's not going to answer your prayer. So immediately you move out of faith into a place of unbelief. There was a woman in the Bible called Hannah who was barren and her husband behaved really badly towards her. This went on for years, and this woman would go time and time again to the temple and cry before God, asking him for a child. This happened year upon year upon year. She had people tormenting her, but she still kept going to the temple year after year and crying out to God and seeking his face. She ended up being the mother of Samuel, who was a great prophet in the Bible. Seasons and times of God are not our seasons and our time. But when we stay in a place of prayer, we begin to get aligned to God's seasons. We begin to get aligned to his timing. What is it that you've been asking God for that people are looking at you and thinking, is this God ever going to answer you? God has a season and he has a time. A baby who is not carried to nine months is called a premature baby. That means it's born before its time. 
There are lots of babies who are born before their time that have different issues because they were not carried to full term. Whatever you have asked God for, in the right time, appropriate time, it would come to pass. Because he has said that my words that have gone forth shall not return void. They would accomplish the purposes for which they have been sent. When you speak God's word, speak it with faith because you know he has said it, that it will not return void. So this morning, (laughs) you thought that was all of it, was it? (laughs) So this morning, we're looking at James chapter 5. And um, from verse 13 to 19. So he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James is asking us, Is anyone amongst you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. What do we do when we get into trouble? Do we comfort eat? Do we phone a friend? Do we get a little glass of wine? And then he gets to two and three and four and then he carries on? Because that doesn't take that problem away. It just magnifies it. I had a family member ring me yesterday in tears because they've come across a problem that's just overwhelmed them. And I was talking to this person on the phone and they were crying. And the first thing I said, have you prayed about this? And they said, no. So I said, well, you need to go and pray. Have you asked God? Because sometimes when trouble comes our way, it's sometimes easy to look at it and think, well, that is not my fault. Ask God for forgiveness if you've done anything that might have opened a window. That's what I said to my family member. Ask him for forgiveness and then thank him for his goodness towards you to see you through that situation. By the end of last night, between myself and my other sister, we'd come up with a plan for this issue because we prayed about it, not because we're clever. Now, Jesus, through his life on earth, spent a great deal of time in prayer. Towards the end, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying. He knew what was coming. But he was praying. He said to his disciples, 
every time he went back to them, they were fast asleep. And he'd have to wake them up. Can you not just sit up with me for these few hours, he said to them. But they were fast asleep. And that was Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth. But he recognized the importance of prayer. What do we do when we're sick? Blame God. Ask him why or how he allowed this to happen to us. Because I've prayed for so many people who have a sickness of some description in their physical body. And they always say, but why did God allow this to happen to me? It's been going on for so long. Now, I've said, shared this here before, but I'll just remind you about this. Um, about five years ago, five, five years, yeah, about five years, um, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, now, it was actually stage three, because the next stage would have been four, which they would say, well, sorry, we can't help you. You're going to glory. Now, that was stage three. The first thought that came into my head was not actually, God, why did you let this happen? The first thought that came into my head when I was sitting in front of the consultant, and he said to me, well, I'm afraid to tell you you've got stage three breast cancer, as they say, very frank. And I was sat there, and I said to him, well, thank you. God loves me, and because he loves me, I know that it will be fine. And he said to me, you're in shock. And I was thinking, well, you're going to be in shock. When God actually comes through for me, you will be in shock. And that is what makes the heart of the Father glad. It doesn't mean through that journey, there were not times when I was crawling on my knees and saying, Father, I need you. There were times when I was thinking, I've just had enough of this. I've just had enough. And God encouraged me, keep going. You're almost there. Keep going. That is the kind of father that we have. He does not put sickness on us, but there are times when we do things that opens a window for the enemy to come in. You see, I'll describe it to you. It's like you're in a house with a roof, okay? Now, when you step and it's raining, there's sun, there's um, snow out there. Now, when you step out of the house into the external atmosphere, the protection that you get from the roof in your house is removed. And that is what happens when we walk out of God's love. When we do things that are contrary to his nature, that is what we do. And when you step out of that, then you get the fiery doubts. Because as part of that diagnosis, I search my heart. I ask God to show me things that I shouldn't have done. And there was one thing he showed me, which was to do within, with someone in my own home that I had to go and apologize to and say, for something that happened five years before then, and I had to say, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Because God brought it to my remembrance not in a way that crushed me, but he said to me, what you said then really hurt me because when you speak to a child of mine in a way that is not acceptable to me, you are speaking to me. And I had to go and say, I'm really sorry. And the person said, what are you sorry about? They didn't even remember. But God did. And I had to say, I'm really sorry. Because he reminded me. And you know what? It actually broke my heart to think. It took me to that point to realize that the words that I speak 
to or about people hurts God. Because do you know why? Because human beings are what God is all about. That was why he sent Jesus to that cross. He paid that price. So when you talk about another human being, whether they're Christians or not, can I just implore you to stop and think before you utter any words? Just think. So some of the stuff that James was talking about was about the elders of the church praying over the sick. Okay? And it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, what stops us as leaders in church from being that channel through which God can pour himself and touch the lives of the people around us who need that touch? Because if, the, if James is saying they should call the elders of the church to anoint somebody who is sick with oil. That tells me that God looks at elders and leaders as the channel through which he can touch people who are sick when you anoint them. But that doesn't always happen in our churches. Why? Because as elders, as leaders, we are not cultivating that place of intimacy with God sufficiently enough for him to touch us, sufficiently enough for him to touch our hearts, sufficiently enough for him to infuse his very self into us so that when we come to somebody and we lay hands on them and we say in the name of Jesus be healed, they will be healed. That is the purpose of what James is saying to us there. Being an elder, being a leader is not about a position, it's not about a role. It's about being an effective channel for God to use to reach his people. That is God's purpose. He doesn't care what post you have. He doesn't care what role you have. He doesn't care how intelligent you are. He doesn't care how many people like you. What he's interested in, can I pour myself through you as a leader so when you lay your hands on the sick, they will recover? So he moves on to talk about confession. He says in verse 16, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, just listen again. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is a connection between acknowledging and confessing your sins before God, before man, if you can find somebody that you can say together, I want to just make a confession of something that I shouldn't have done, that you trust that person and you can do that with them, fine. If you cannot find somebody that you can do that with, go into your prayer closet and say, Holy Spirit, help me and make that confession there because God still hears you. God still hears you. Do you know... Um, in, in my workplace, I've, um, I worked with a lady who was um, having um, an extra marital affair. She wasn't a Christian. And um, she was having this great time, but the other flip side of it was she was racked with guilt. She was so miserable, yes, she was so happy. 
And one day I had to say to you, what is the issue here? Well, I just feel guilty because I know I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Well, you have to go and confess your sins to your husband. Because that's the only way. You might mean the end of your relationship, but you have to do that. Now, she had to go. She did tell him. And I remember when she came back, she felt so relieved. Because, you see, sin is something that happens in a dark place. And God is in the light. But what happens when we confess our sins is we move from that place of darkness to a place of light. Because James didn't say here, confess your sins one to another and you will die of your sickness. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Don't let sin have a hold over you. Whether you're a Christian and you're addicted to drink, find somebody that you can confess it to. Because you see, the heart of God is not actually about the sin, it's about you. Because he knows, you see, sin has, is like a hook. You know when you um, go fishing? Years ago, when the boys were young, and you know what it's like when your kids are very young, money is always a bit. So we go to Scotland, we went to Scotland every year for ages, and they absolutely loved it. And we used to go fishing. And um, that's where I learned to fish. It's absolutely amazing if you ever try. And um, we used to go fishing in Loco. And um, I remember when you, when you cast your, your, your line in there, there's always a hook with a worm. And the worm is meant to entice the fish because they can't see the hook. So they swim towards the worm because they see this wriggling worm. And then they grab the worm, but there's a hook in there. And it hooks there in the mouth. And then you drag them out. That is what sin does to us as Christians. It always looks so exciting, and it always looks so amazing and enjoyable. And then you get to a point when you realize that I can't actually stop this. That is where the hook is in. And that is not the life that God wants for us. He wants us to be free. Because the Bible says it was for this freedom that Christ has set us free. That is the purpose of the cross. But without confessing those sins, when we go to pray, our prayer always bounces back. The Bible reminds us that when you come, bring your gift before God. If you have anything against anybody, leave the gift, go and make restitution, and then come back. You see, forgiveness, confession, is such a big thing with God. Because when you're confessing, you're asking him to forgive you. Now, it doesn't mean you won't do that thing again at some point, but it's actually getting into that mindset, I shouldn't be doing it, when you confess it, then you will get to a point when actually autopilot, you don't do it anymore. When... Um Jesus was on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus was the son of God. We all know he was the son of God. Now, when he was on the cross, he didn't say, Father, Father, 
Why have you forsaken me? He didn't say that. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God, sin cannot be in God's presence. And when Jesus was on that cross, he was actually an embodiment of the sin of humanity. And God had to turn his face away for that process to go through, for that sin to be dealt with. And Jesus to rise again on the third day and be seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. That is to show us the magnitude, what sin actually means to God and why we should stay away from it. We mentioned there about Elijah that he was a man like we are. <laughs> yeah, he was a man like we are. And so was David. There are lots of prophets in the Bible who were just men. But God used them. The life of David, sometimes when you look at it in cold light of day, he was an imperfect man. He wasn't a perfect man. When you look at Saul's life, Saul was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. But do you know the difference between David and Saul? David had a heart that recognized he needed to ask God for forgiveness. He had a heart that he was always turning back to God. That was the difference between the two of them. When you read the description in the Bible, they were men of stature, handsome, and they were this and they were um, brilliant warriors and so on and so forth. But the only difference between those two men was their heart. Um, Nigel was talking at the beginning of the service about, about our hearts if you're finding it difficult to worship or concentrate. God is interested much more in what's going on here than the external facade. He's not interested in what, you, what's, what this is about. He's interested in what is going on here. Because I have known people when they hello, how are you? But inside their hearts, they actually stabbed you 20 times. But they're smiling. And that is why God isn't interested in this. He wants to see this. So I'm just going to round up this morning by saying, giving life to our prayer, uh, to, to our faith through prayer, requires patience. Patience in that time of prayer. I wasn't born, my husband would tell you, with a great deal of patience. I'm sure I raced out of my mom's womb <laughs> before anybody could say anything. I've, I always have to learn to be patient. Even now, I still have to learn to be patient. I mean, we'd want to do some things, and for me, I've gone and done My husband still says, oh, no, just hold on a minute. Why can't we just do it now? Well, just hold on a minute. And we have to go another way before we actually do it. And I've come to realize that is one of God's ways of teaching me to be patient. Because when God puts you with somebody who's very laid back and you're like, you've done 60 miles before that person is actually stepped out of the door, there's a reason for it. There is a reason for it. And I'm learning that because God wants us to be patient. It's the place of patience that we learn, waiting on him.
We learn to see ourselves for who we are. We learn to see God for who he is. And we learn in a place of patience to hear clearly. Acknowledgement and confession of our sins. You see, when someone says to me, I've been praying about this and God isn't going to, God hasn't answered my prayer. Okay? Now, a lot of the times, it's not actually always about God. It's about us and how we view ourselves, how we think God sees us. Because if God sent Jesus to the cross to die for you and you've asked him for something, why would he not give it to you? Why would he not want to give it to you? When he's already given the most precious thing to him, he gave it up for you. So you want a job and you think God isn't going to answer your prayer. That's because of us. Because if we have the assurance that, yes, I am the right, I'm in the right standing before God, I know he loves me. I know he's going to perfect everything that concerns me. When you pray, you have the assurance that he's heard you, and you just keep along until the answer comes. The Bible already tells us that when we pray, we should believe that we receive. But we don't always, because we lack the assurance that God will do what he says he will do, because we don't think he sees us in the right way. So if you feel today that, yes, you've been praying and you don't feel that God is going to answer you, first of all, repent of that. Because he sent Jesus to the cross so that you can have, he says so you can have life and have it more abundantly. An abundant life is that you have the things you need and you have more than enough so that you can bless other people around you. 